Um, we are continuing in this uh, series of parables of the kingdom. As you guys know, and if you've been coming here for a while, you know, we've been talking about the kingdom of God, something that Jesus talked about a lot. And um, one of the things with the kingdom of God, it's not something that you can just explain and study and memorize, kind of like the scripture. It's not so, it was not given to us so that we can just memorize it and have Bible studies around it, but so that we can actually have it work through our lives and apply it to our lives and actually walk it out. It's meant to be tasted and tried and demonstration to occur in our lives. And I think a lot of the things that we know as those who grew up in a uh, quote-unquote Christian nation or maybe you're in a Christian family or, or, you're, or you know, you've heard of Christians, let's, let's be there. Um, and a lot of the stuff that, that, that maybe we have come to kind of like embrace is a lot of head knowledge. You know, like I got to study the Bible, I got to learn what the Bible says, you know, I got to memorize some scripture verses. And although those are nice to do, but in reality, I mean, we are called to experience the kingdom of God. To experience is something that you have to go out of your comfort zone and, and, and reach for it and have something happen. You have to take a risk. Like falling in love. You can't just talk about falling in love. You actually have to take your girl out on a date. Like that's required. I mean, texting is just not good enough. You actually physically have to go pick her up. And I know it's uncomfortable, but that is called experiencing dating. And then when you get married, it's not just, oh, I got all the vows memorized. Honey, I got all my vows memorized. What more do you want from me? I just want you to actually express love, express marriage, express that you love me, express that you care for me. And I think the kingdom of God is no different. That's why Jesus never fully defined it. That's why he never said, here's a tweet about it. And I know I'm hammering this point over and over and over again. And I just, I just feel stirred within my heart that, that this is the year that we're going to move from being where we were to stepping into something that maybe we have not done before. Maybe stepping into something that we were afraid to do because maybe we never fully understood what that looked like. Like, for example, inviting Jesus to come. Like something so simple. And we tend to never really wait for Jesus to come. We just, Jesus, we say the prayer, God, please come, show up, amen, and we just move on. And we're, we, we have a hard time listening in and, and, and shutting our mouth and pausing and saying, Jesus, maybe you don't understand. I want you to show up. I don't want to just say and ask you to show up and not really wait for you to show up. And what we need to get is this kingdom message is a kingdom that required people to leave all of their life that they knew before and follow after Jesus. That is what is required. And I'm here to tell you that not everyone will make that decision. And in Jesus' time, not everyone made that decision even when he was physically here. Like Jesus had crowds, and then the crowds would leave, and the real people who were like, no, no, Jesus, we really want this kingdom for real. So they stuck around Jesus through the thick, through the thin. But it required something from them. 
And I think as a church in America, it is, it is time that we quit sitting and consuming and, raise it, and instead raise our hand and say, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Where do you want me to go? How much do you want me to give? What do you want me to give up? Who do you want me to speak to? How long do you want me to wait for you? Like having a single application for the week is just not good enough because you miss out on the kingdom of God. One of the things about the kingdom that, we've that, that I've touched on and I will touch on in the future, but it's the fact of living in community. You can talk about loving your neighbor, but you don't hang out with neighbors. You, you and I, we, 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 are, we need to be forced to be part of a community. And yet, to fully experience the kingdom of God, part of experiencing it is being subjected and joining and being part of a community of people who do life together. Not just meet up and study the Bible and, and just chat and say we've done our thing, but to actually live life together. And I know God has been convicting me personally because... It's easy to come up and talk and gather and do this. This is the easy part of living out the kingdom. But the hard part is what happens on Monday? How often do I talk to my neighbor? How intentional am I to say, you know what? My neighbors need to know that there is a king who loves them. There's a prince who wants to give them peace. There's a comforter. There's someone who can give them strength. Maybe my neighbors are looking and searching. So there is something that God is wanting and needing us to do. It's something that we have to mentally decide and say, God, for me to embrace this kingdom, I know that I'm going to need to and I'm going to have to step out of my comfort zone. I just know that I need to do that. And the real question is, are we really willing to do that? And I hope that the answer is yes. I really hope that the answer is yes, because otherwise, what is the point? What is the point? One of the things that I want to talk about today is something that I never thought mastered me. I uh, probably, like most of you, all your spiritually righteous folks, you probably, when I read this passage, you'll be like, oh yeah, that's definitely not me. <laughs> that's you Lord have mercy okay that was pretty funny all right anyways Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 and 25 and this is in the in the amplified Bible so here's the passage that we've read before and this is the passage that I really thought that that kind of did not have any relevance to me in my life so let's see if that's the case with you so Jesus is saying no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will stand by and be devoted to the one and despise and be against the other. There's a clear line in the sand that Jesus is drawing. And he says, you cannot serve God and manna, uh, mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon. And you probably have heard this, but... The natural way of trying to read it is you cannot serve God and Satan would be like the, that sounds right. But you cannot serve God and mammon? 
deceitful riches, money, possessions, or whatever else is trusted in. So, verse 25, therefore, I tell you, stop being perpetually uneasy, anxious, and worried about your life. What you shall eat or what you shall drink or about your body or what you shall put on is not life greater in quality than food and the body far above and more excellent than clothing. Now, so I want to point one thing. Uh, just be honest. When you read this, you're like, yeah, I probably don't have a problem with this. Like serve two masters. I serve God. I don't really serve man. Raise your hand. Come on. Come on. Trump the house light so that we all can see all the hands go up. Right? I mean, if you think about it, it's like, yeah, no, I think I serve God. Like, like you have to be like, yeah, I serve God. Like, I mean, who would say, you know what, I have the problem, I, I serve manna. Yeah. Good. Good, good. Now, <laughs> not, not, now you guys are afraid. <laughs> That's good. No, it's not good. Um, but what I wanted to show, what I wanted to point out this morning is that there is an association, because we may not be too familiar with serving money or mammon, but we are very familiar with worry and anxiety. Raise your hand. So somehow, this worry and anxiety, the thing that probably depresses the people the most in our culture, worry and anxiety, something much more relatable than mammon. Because we believe that we could serve God and worry and have anxiety at the same time. We believe that because that's how we live. We've accepted that we could serve two masters. Worry and anxiety is a result of serving mammon, not serving God. I know, it's like, okay, how does this really, really work in real life? Did Jesus ever worry? Did Jesus ever freak out? He really did not. Because he knew who he was. And his serving and his worship belonged to God. And what I want to do is talk a little bit of, about money and mammon and this concept. Because a lot of us, we follow principles that's in scripture, and we don't follow the prince. And so when all we subject ourselves to is following the principles without the, the prince, it's like a person who's under the law trying their best to obey God's law without God's help. And it's frustrating. And it's annoying. And it's super, super hard. But one of the things that it says is you can serve mammon or serve God. Now, the thing of this word serve, it actually is really closely tied, tied in with worship. Worship God, worship mammon. And what that really is defined is to be in the position of a slave that is in the actual act already at any given moment to serve whenever they are called upon, uh, 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 called upon at a moment's notice 
So someone who serves, someone who worships is always positioned and always has their ear in case their master calls on them. You guys seen Downtown Abbey? Come on, all you guys say, yes, I have. Yes. Downtown Abbey. It is, um, it is a show where it talks about servants and, um, and masters um, and huge households. But one of the things, if you notice, is they have a whole section of, uh, of servants in the basement who prepare all the stuff, who clean everything up, and there are these little bells, ding, 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 ding. And no matter what's happening, they're always tuned in because their existence is to serve their master. That's what, that's what they exist to do. So someone who serves, someone who worships, is someone who is ready to do whatever their master says. And the neat thing with scripture is some, some of the words that are used makes us feel uncomfortable. Like when I say, hey, um, you are a servant or you're a slave. What do we, how do we resist that? No, no, I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm God's friend. That's true. But you're also a slave. You're also a servant. And even though God is your father, he's also your master. This is why we worship him. This is why we serve him. He is our master and we are his slave. And when we think of slaves, we think of like, you know, injustice. So this is why the language that we use is we are sons and daughters of the king of kings. It's same thing. We are his, we're here to serve him. We're here to do his will. What do you think Jesus? Jesus was a slave to his father. What did you say? I do nothing unless my father tells me. All that you see me do, I do because I heard from my father. So the relationship between master and slave is like this. I tell you and you do it. And what this really means is that a slave or a servant orders their life around the one that they are serving. Does that make sense? This is what makes us servants is we order our lives around the one. So whenever you get married or before you get married, you are a servant and a slave to your spouse. You are at their call. You're there and your life revolves around them. I know whenever we were dating, oh, I served Maria. <laughs> I served her. I mean, if she hinted that she wanted anything, it don't matter. I remember once um, <laughs> there was a, uh, a concert over here locally. There's this, um, well, let me, tell you, let me say this. Maria and I, we uh, share the same musical um, styles. We like the same artists. And, uh, and so I listened to a lot. I would m make my, you know, mix CDs, you know, and just, yeah, good old days. CDs are these devices that... <laughs> so uh, so uh, one day there was an artist who came to Asheville, Michael W. Smith. And, uh, and so we were going to go and, and see him. And I told Maria, and, and she's like, oh, yeah, I'd love to go. I'm like, hey, I'm coming to pick you up. So um, I, I took uh, my car, my one and only black Mazda 6 to 6. And it was raining. I took my sister with me. 
because, you know, in my culture, like, God forbid, someone sees me with her in a car by herself. So we, also, we always have to have a third person in the car. Because, uh, you know, you love her. I won't say anything else. Okay. So what happened is uh, I'm driving to pick her up, and I'm going uphill, and my car spins out of control. And I wasn't speeding. It was wet, so it might have been the leaves. <laughs> Man, you guys, that's not the point to laugh. Okay. So anyways, my car ends up spinning out, and I do like a 180, and I land my tail end of the car into a tree. Okay? Boom. I'm like, oh, my goodness. But it don't matter. I know who I'm serving. So I start the car. I drive the car back to my house. I back it up so that my parents don't see the back of the car. And I just calmly ask if I can use my parents' car to go pick up Maria to go see Michael W. Smith. <laughs> it's, it's those moments where it doesn't matter what's happening. You have a goal in mind. You have an agenda. And you exist to serve this person. And I know when we think of serving and slaving, we think of it in a very negative context. But for me, when you're, when you're in love with someone and they bring meaning to your life and your inspiration, um, what happens is that when you're doing it out of love, you actually end up doing it more like a son and a daughter. It's, it's just amazing. But the Hebrew word for worship is to fall down and prostrate oneself. So when you're serving, you're falling down and you're prostrating. You're saying, I'm here to serve you. In the Greek, it actually takes it a little further, and it talks about prostrating and to kiss the feet. Um, and there's an old English word which really defines worship and serving really, really well. It's this word, worship. And what it does is it ascribes, it ascribes worth or gives value to something that we believe to be have to have to, to that we believe that has great value so what this really means is when you look at serving and worshiping so that and just a side note that when people serve when you're here and you're serving it's it is worship some of us we think that only worship worship is only when we sing or whenever we're on stage when you're serving someone in jesus name you're worshiping jesus it's an act of worship and what it basically means is that I'm serving him and how I serve what I'm doing is I am giving an estimation of God's worth and value so if I'm like slacking if I'm like whatever I'm estimating that that is what God is worth in my mind Let that sink in. So this is why the Bible says that when you do something to the least of these, you do it and do it as you're doing it unto me. Why? Because when we know that God is in the room, we do it differently. Because we're wanting to estimate what we think God is valued based on what we can, how we can serve him. So mammon, so, so, so it's interesting. It's like you serve and you worship. And you can do this. We just read... You can serve and worship God, or you can serve and worship mammon. Now, I want to park here on this mammon part, because mammon is a uh, demon god in um, Syria. And it, it, it means mammon, a power of riches. 
Now, to kind of put things into perspective, you guys know Psalm 23, right? Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures beside still waters. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he comforts me. He's my ever-present help in time of trouble. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my refuge, right? We're very, very familiar with this. But what if we change out the God and read it differently and see if this strikes a chord in you? And I'm telling you, like, whenever I read this, it struck a chord in me a little too close. So money is my shepherd. I shall not want. Money makes me lie down beside still waters. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, if I got money, it comforts me. Money is a very present help in time of trouble. Money is my refuge. Money is my strength. Let that sink in for a second. We have this mindset that if I just made enough money, things will be well. And when we begin to worry or when we begin to, when fear begins to creep in, a lot of times it's because of our lack of money. Like God forbid you lost your job. What would happen? Freak out mode. Right? Because all of a sudden your need for money or for more money has surpassed your need for God himself. And I know we, we tend to say, well, I know, Sergio, I know, I know we need God, but you don't understand money pays my bills. Yeah, I know. I know it does. And yet, we look at it saying so deceitful. He puts us in this place where we're like, yeah, you still can love God, but you have to worry and freak out because you need the dollars. You need the greens. And in that moment, you feel like you need the greens more than you need God. Which then puts you in this place where you went from worshiping God, all is well, to all of a sudden, I need to pursue and do whatever I can to receive money. And I'm not talking about being lazy or saying, hey, just... Go after God and God is going to somehow cover all your bills, so don't worry about working. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about when you take something like that away, how all of our focus and all of our attention shifts from saying, God, I love you, I worship you too. Oh my God. And I think this is part of what Jesus is talking about. He says, you cannot serve two masters. Like, like he even went as far as to say, as you look at the birds of the air. You go and look at them. When was the last time you saw a bird starve to death? He even takes it further. He says, when was the last time you saw a bird sow? Because we believe, well, we got to sow so we can reap. 
We have a need. We got to sow so that God can meet the need. And Jesus is saying, no. You look at the birds. Look at them really, really, really well. The Father who made them loves them where they don't even worry. Why? Because your Father who sees all things will not see to it that you go hungry. He will see to it that your bills will get paid. He will see to it that things will line up. He will see to it that he comes through because that is the kind of father you and I worship. How many of you have ever had this experience where you know there's not enough money in the bank and there is absolutely nothing you can do? And how many of you said, God, that's it? And something supernatural happened. How do you explain that? Did your worry usher that in? No. No. It's amazing whenever you're up against the wall. Whenever you've lost your job, whenever you got a pay cut, whenever something happens and you go through the stage of worry and fear and anxiety and you can't go to church, you can't see anybody, you can't pray, you can't read the Bible, you can't do any of this because your feelings have overtaken you and you've stepped from pursuing God to saying, I need money. If I just had some money, I, I can sleep. If I had just some more money, then I can give how much I want to give. If I just had some more money, then I would worship a lot more freer. If I just had a little more, everything would be okay. I just need X amount of dollars. And it feels good when you get it. I will be happy. It's like a conditional. It creates a conditional heart. And that's how we approach God. Say, God, I will give you this if you give me something in return. Because you guys already well know that this is not about money. This is about the condition of our hearts where Satan comes in and he is cunning. So he'll snatch your worship away from God and point it to mammon. And so churches where we have failed is we... We tell people that if you have a need, just tithe, just sow, and watch God come through. And we're building this conditional aspect. And I believe in sowing and reaping. I believe in, in tithing, and, and I believe in being sacrificial, and I believe in being generous. And I believe that God blesses financially, that God blesses in, in all sorts of ways. But God is so much after our hearts that he makes this huge distinction that if you have worry or anxiety or fear in your life, you can, you can bet, your, bet everything on the fact that you have shifted your trust and worship to mammon to supply your needs. And I never really connected it because we know who, who does not worry, raise your hand. Why? Because Satan is that good. He has a step from one place to another. From one, we worship God, all is good. Oh, we, we, we got, you know, hit financially. Oh, poor old us. 
And I'm just so sick and tired of that because that is not the kingdom of God. That is not what God has called us into. He calls us out of that mindset into the mindset that Jesus is my king and he is going to see it through. I can completely always rely that he will come through. A hundred percent. A hundred percent of the time. And it has to go from this head knowledge to this knowing but how we know is that we live through it. We are in a place where we're like, I got to work as much as I need to work because I have this dollar amount that I have to see in my life. I see, love says, I give because I worship and serve the source and because I worship and serve the source I will always have I will always have what kind of father would he be to let you starve he said that if your earthly father and mother know how to give good gifts where do you think that came from And this is a real, real, real problem because mammon, it comes at us in two forms. One, it comes at us like what, I, what I've been talking about, worry, greed, I mean worry, anxiety, and fear, which basically says, I just don't have enough. I just don't have enough. But then the other way that mammon comes into our life is through greed, which is like, I just need more. I just want more. And so it takes us and it tackles us. Just, just look, imagine you're struggling financially, right? And you're just like barely making it. Like you, you, you've come on some hard times. And you have someone come up in the testimony and they're like, hey, you know, man, I was limping for like a year and a half. And this morning, God healed me. What, the, what kind of response would, 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 we, would we have? That is so amazing. Oh God, that is so cool. Yes. But then if someone says, hey, man, I just got this ridiculous raise at my work. I mean, it's like tripled what I used to make. And I was making really good. And if you're sitting there barely making it, are you like, oh, God is so good. You're like, yeah, why did he get it? Doesn't God know that I need it? Now you've caught Satan's deceitfulness in your heart. Do you, do, you, do you see how this works? Now, I want to read one more scripture and I'll be done. Because the big lie with mammon, the big lie with mammon is that God is not enough. Like where God lacks, mammon will come in and fill like that is the big lie and I'm not talking about theologically so so no one's like okay I'm gonna stop worshiping God and I'm gonna worship money no no because if you did that you wouldn't really 
than worship money. <laughs> but you do it without really putting language behind it. It just happens because that's the kind of culture because we are in the world system and that's what the world trains you to do. Don't rely on someone that you cannot see. Rely on the tangible, the physical. You can see it. You can touch it. Chase that and that's going to fulfill you. The next car, the next thing, the newest, the latest, the greatest, that's what is going to really give you your value and your worth. And so we put God on the sideline. But I, um, I, I want to read one, one passage that that we don't read much in church because we don't fully understand it and it's not the way that we do evangelism but unfortunately I think this is where probably describes the church in America way too closely way too closely but what I like about this last passage that I want to read or the story that I want to read is that it's not just a story for us to be like, oh, that's a bummer. But there's actually, Jesus is so smart. Within this story, within this situation, he actually, he actually reveals something pretty significant. So it's found in Matthew chapter 19. And it's verses like 16 through 29. We're not going to read the whole thing. You guys know the story. But it's found in three of the Gospels. It's basically about the story of the rich young ruler. Actually, let's, let's, let's read 16 so that we can really read together. Just then someone came up and asked him, Teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? He said to him. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he asked. See, he's eager, right? Like, Jesus answered, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, pause for a second. Whenever I used to read that, I thought Jesus just kind of like named just whatever he kind of remembered, you know. But the, the, the Ten Commandments are broken down into two categories. Uh, one, uh, part of it is about people and part of it is about God and what Jesus listed here is all people six commands about humanity about people and he left out the four commandments about God and Jesus even later on he basically boiled the whole law ten commandments into loving the Lord your God with all your heart soul strength mind and loving your neighbor as yourself he says on these two all of law hangs so he did this he just laid out this people relationship. And I think it's, it's specific. And you'll see why in a second. It's very specific. Verse 20. He said, I have kept all these, the young man told him. What do I still lack? Now Jesus gives him this instruction. And um, if you want to be perfect, Jesus said to him. Go ahead, 21. If you want to be perfect, Jesus said to him, go sell your belongings and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And then when the young man heard that, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Now, I'm not going to read anymore, but here's the gist of the story. And a lot of TV preachers use this. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll say like, look, Jesus wants you to give everything away and then you'll receive all this stuff. And what they're really telling you too is to say, hey, give what you have to us. You know, you want the 57 miracles in the Bible? Pledge $57 a month. 
You want the 200, you know, just make up a number and find a scripture and they're doing it. But what's really interesting is that Jesus never said, go sell everything that you have and give it to me. And the other question that I, when I, when I read it, it kind of like, I read it like, hey, just give all your stuff away. Right? Who, who read it like that? Like, just give all your stuff away. That's basically what she's saying. Oh, y'all are so wrong. I'm so glad you raised your hand. <laughs> y'all are so wrong with that. And the reason is, 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 go back to verse 21. Watch, watch. Jesus reveals a, a strategic way of how to get the heart of this young man. And it actually leaks into what we can do. He says, if you want to be perfect, Jesus said to him, go. See, action. He says, this is not a matter of go study some more. Go learn. There's an action involved. Jesus is setting him up, says, you really want to know? You really want to enter the kingdom? You really want to know what I'm fully about? You have all your head knowledge. You're so religious, and, and that's great. I'm glad you're learning all this, but you really want to know how to really get into the kingdom of God, how to really do. Jesus is saying, sell your belongings. Pause. This is an important piece that I overlooked. The mental capacity of taking things, grabbing it, looking at it, selling it, grabbing the next thing that you have, looking at it, selling it, grabbing this that you have, looking at it, selling it, grabbing this, looking at it, selling it, looking at it, selling it, looking at it, selling it and we have not even gone to the part of giving it away what Jesus was saying is that your heart is in the wrong place but the way to get your heart so you can see the giver that God is and the kingdom that he's offering is that your heart has to be softened and the way that I'm going to take your heart and soften it and, 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 and take it to a place where you can actually enter into the kingdom is that I have to work on your heart and the way that I'm going to work on your heart was having you go take your things and sell it. Take your things and sell it. Take your things and sell it. And then all the money that you got from selling all your things, then you go and you give it away. If Jesus just said, hey, go and just give your stuff away, that would have even been a more flatter no. But Jesus said, hey, let me just kind of help you in a realistic way, like ease from your things. Because you are serving mammon and you think you're serving God. You're serving mammon and you think you're serving God. And then he said, then you'll be in a position to follow Jesus. Like God has to position us to where we are like, okay God I'm gonna follow you. Later on in the same story if you keep reading the apostles said man God who can be saved then? And Jesus like man with man it's, it's impossible. And they said Jesus we have given away everything to follow you. And Jesus is like yeah I know. Great is your reward. You will receive a hundredfold. And in Mark it says you will receive a hundredfold in this life 
and the next. But there has to be this severing from our reliance on mammon and what it has given us to complete reliance on God. Now I want to read one final verse and kind of go back to this issue of what mammon does and what God wants to fix. And we're going to do a little exercise and we'll be done. Yay! If you have your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 in the Amplified. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. If you have your Bibles, you can look up, but I'm going to read this. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 in the Amplified says this, And God, and God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing, come in abundance to you so that you may always, always, under all circumstances, regardless of the need, have complete sufficiency in everything being completely self-sufficient in him and have an abundance for every good work and act of charity what this is saying is that mammon tells you the lie which is god is not enough and what Paul writes and what Jesus demonstrated the truth is God is not enough because God is more than enough that is the truth God is not just barely making it and hoping that it meets everything he says I how much do you need what do you need I am just stacked above my capacity to give out. I can give and give and give and give and give and give and give. He is more than you will ever need, than I will ever need. That's the kind of God that we serve. That is the kind of God that wants to be your king, wants to be your prince and is wanting to guide you and lead you and position you in places imagine if you can go straight to the to the source every time not just financially but through in wisdom through figuring out how to meet a person's need having any questions you have you go straight to the source and the source never runs dry never lacks and the truth of the matter is and what this is saying to me is that God will take, God will take, God will take care of you better even if He takes care of you accidentally, but He'll do it better than you will take care of yourself completely on purpose. God will accidentally take care of you better than you will take care of yourself on purpose. So, um, if we have some cards, I want to, we're going to take up an offering. We're going to take up an offering. But this is going to be a different kind of offering, so don't reach for your monies. Leave your mammon. If we get, Brittany, can we, do we, do we have those uh, cards? Okay. 
You guys grab, raise your cards up. Okay. Everybody has a pen. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to write down, you guys are going to write down all of your worries, your fears, your anxieties. Give your pen, go ahead. Everyone writing. I know everyone has worries, fears, and anxieties and just jot them down. I know you probably have more to write. That's okay. You can do this at home as well. Here's what you guys what I want you guys to do. Everyone, I want everyone to rise on your feet. You look at this thing and you speak to it. Say, no more. No more in Jesus' name. I'm done with this. I'm done with this. I'm giving my worries and my fears to Jesus. I don't want this anymore. I will not hold on to this anymore. And as a physical act of this going to be leaving my hands, in Jesus' name, this is going to be leaving my life from this day forward. Now, what I want everyone to do in a count of three is rip it in half. One, two, three, go. Now put it on, a, on your seat in the back. Don't pick it up. Father, This symbolic act is not just a symbolic act. Father, this is a stand that we're taking that we will worship you alone. That we will submit to you alone. That when we have need, we're going to go to you alone. When we have lack, we're going to go to you alone. From this day forward, Father, we declare it and we take a stand that you are more than enough for me. You are more than enough for my family. You are more than enough for my city. You are more and will always be more than enough in every area of my life. I thank you for this truth. I thank you for your resources. Now God, I submit myself so that I'm not like this rich young ruler, God, but instead, I begin to part with all those things that I am relying on in this life. And I'm shifting gears and I'm stepping into your kingdom because I want what is in heaven to be reality on earth and in my life. In Jesus' name.